Thank, thank you very much in, in, indeed for, for that introduction. Um, I'm, uh, I'm going to speak uh, for about uh, just over 15 minutes. I've been told I can have uh, slightly longer than I originally thought. So uh, I'll speak for about uh, 15 minutes, maybe a little bit over, uh, which will leave time for, for questions uh, or complaints. Uh, because uh, uh, people love complaining to authors about the, the books. Nothing gives uh, a person greater pleasure uh, than to find that an author's made a mistake in a book. And, and people will write to you uh, for years after the publication of the book and say, you said on page such and such that this was the case, and then you contradict yourself a few pages later, and you write back and thank them uh, for their uh, close attention to the text. And uh, so, so people probably have got uh, issues uh, that they'd like to raise uh, with me uh, about the books, and so I'll be available for, uh, for questions uh, uh, afterwards. I thought that uh, what I might say today is, is just say a little bit uh, about my various books, but particularly about the number one uh, Ladies Detective Agency series, uh, which um, obviously uh, is set uh, in a part of the world which isn't far from uh, where we are uh, right uh, now. And so I thought I might just let you know how uh, I started to write those books and what, um, if anything, uh, I'm trying to do uh, with those books. Um, I had no agenda uh, in mind when I first wrote the number one ladies detective agency. Uh, I didn't really realize uh, what I was doing, I suppose, and it's uh, only later uh, that perhaps as an author when you've written your books that you look back and you decide uh, what it is that you've, you've done all along. It's rather like the character in one of the Molière um, uh, plays who discovers, to his great delight, uh, that he's been talking prose uh, all his life. So uh, it's an ex post facto analysis of, of what, you've, what you've done. The story uh, of the number one ladies' detective agency uh, begins um, in 1980, uh, when I was uh, working in Swaziland. I was working at the university in Swaziland, which is a little bit to the south of us here. Uh, it's a, it's a, lovely, uh, a lovely small uh, country, a remarkable place. And uh, I used to travel across from Swaziland to visit friends in Botswana. And uh, that was a drive of about six or seven hours across what was then called the Transvaal, this, this part of the world. And I used to go and stay with friends in a little village called Machudi, north of the capital, Khabarone. And uh, one day, when I was staying with these friends, they said that um, somebody wanted to give them a chicken uh, for lunch, to have for lunch the following day. It was the Independence Day holiday, and we would go down walk into the village and get this chicken. We walked off and we went to this woman's house and I can see her still. She was what I call a traditionally built uh, lady uh, in a red, uh, red dress. I'm terribly proud of the term traditionally built. Uh, it's gone into the dictionaries and uh, people, are people, in fact, when I'm particularly in the USA, I'm not suggesting there are lots of traditionally built people in the USA, but certainly when I go to the, you know, <laughs> when in the USA, ladies come up to me and say, thank you for that term. We really appreciate it. <laughs> but anyway, there was this traditionally built uh, lady in red, and uh, uh, she, um, uh, she li lived in a, a lovely little house with a very well-kept yard, very well-swept yard. And there was a chicken uh, wandering around uh, in the yard, blissfully unaware of what lay in store. And this lady chased the chicken. There was a great kerfuffle and dust and feathers and screams uh, from both the the traditionally built lady and the chicken. And uh, <laughs> the odds were against the chicken had transpired. And uh, she caught this chicken and immediately dispatched it in a, with a very deft movement of her hands. And I thought, what a remarkable woman. And uh, I wondered, I found myself wondering about what her history was, 
what was her story? She probably had uh, worked very hard in her life. Undoubtedly, she would have done that. She'd probably brought up children on very little money and made a good, good life for them, I suspect, and for herself. And I thought, maybe one day I'll write about a woman like that. That idea bubbled away, obviously, in my unconscious um, uh, mind, subconscious mind, rather. And many years later, I, I sat down and I started to write a short story about a woman who lived in Botswana. And uh, I thought that would be a short, short story, uh, which just goes to show how wrong you can be when you uh, sit down to do something. And uh, uh, in this story, uh, I had um, Precious Ramotswi, the name just came to me. Uh, there she was at the deathbed of her father, Obed Ramotswi, a very fine man, a great judge of cattle, who had worked in the mines in Johannesburg and then returned to Botswana. And uh, he says to her, when I die, sell the cattle and start a little business. And he has in mind a sensible business, such as a hardware store or something of that sort. And she says brightly, I know, I'll start a detective agency. And he gasps and expires. And, um, and I didn't know that I was going to write detective agency. I could have had her starting another business altogether. I could have said her say, had her saying, I know I'll start a dry cleaning business. But I suspect that had I done that, the subsequent history of the books could have been different, because dry cleaning novels are generally <laughs> not quite as um, successful as detective novels. I, I, I don't know why that's the case, because I think very interesting things happen uh, in dry cleaning establishments. And I, I suspect it's only a matter of time uh, before somebody, and there may be one of the students present here who wants to write, sees that as the niche uh, which needs to be uh, developed. So we can come back to that. And I'll be very happy to discuss with any of the students afterwards who have got an idea for a dry cleaning novel. We can talk about it <laughs> a little bit later on. Anyway, um, so I wrote this short story and I really liked the character. I made it into a full length novel. And uh, that I called The Number One Ladies Detective Agency. And I took it off to the publisher and said, here's a book called The Number One Ladies Detective Agency. And the publisher said, why? is called that. And I said, well, it's about the number one the, uh, ladies detective agency. <laughs> and the, uh, the publisher said, you're being rather literal, uh, aren't you? And I subsequently realized that um, the title of a book need have no connection at all with the, the contents. Uh, all you've got to do is get a good title and, uh, and, uh, and a good cover, and indeed a good first sentence, uh, because that's uh, often uh, the only thing that anybody uh, reads. And so uh, you really want to have a powerful full, uh, first sentence. There's a wonderful one, of course, Karen Blixen's uh, Out of Africa. That has that magnificent, resonant first sentence. I had a farm in Africa at the foot of the Ngong Hills. Beautiful, beautiful uh, first sentence. Uh, there's another one, a great one, Rose McCauley, who wrote a, a marvelous book called The Towers of Trebizond, set in uh, Turkey. And her first sentence is, is a magnificent first sentence. It's a model of the first sentence. And that was, hold my camel, said my aunt Dot on her way back from high mass. Now that's really <laughs> terrific first sentence because there's something for everybody in that, uh, <laughs> in that first sentence. Um, but then actually all prizes go to the first sentence in a marvelous naive classic um, called The Young Visitors by Daisy Ashford. Daisy Ashford wrote that when she was aged nine and a half. It's still in print. Uh, she wrote that in, in, in late Victorian times. And uh, bearing in mind uh, that it's written by a nine-and-a-half-year-old girl, the first sentence is really very, very good. And it goes as follows. Mr. Saltina was an elderly man of 42. <laughs> <laughs>
And the students don't see anything funny about that. <laughs> Anyway, uh, so I wrote the number one ladies' detective agency, and uh, I thought that was, uh, that was it. But the publishers had said, well, you actually don't finish books with people getting engaged at the end of it. The readers actually want a marriage, so go and write a sequel and get them married off. So I went and wrote the second volume, Tears of the Giraffe, and uh, I'd intended to get Mara Matsui and Mr. J.L.B. Mataconi, that great garagiste, um, married. Uh, but uh, we, I didn't quite get round to it. So the publisher said, make it a, a trilogy write a third one, get them married in the third one. And I wrote a book called Morality for Beautiful Girls. And I'd intended to get them married there, but I didn't again quite get round to it. So the publisher said, well, you've done it again. Um, make it a quartet and get them married in, the, in, the, in the, this fourth book. And maybe you could use a working title, uh, which would remind you uh, <laughs> to uh, get them married. And he said, well, you could, for example, call it The Wedding. Um, <laughs> And he pointed out that others had done this. Tolstoy, for example, had wanted to write about both war and peace. And in his case, uh, it had worked. But um, volume four, still, still no wedding. And uh, Mara Matsui and Mr. J. Matakoni were still engaged. And I was now getting letters from all over the world saying, is there a problem uh, here? Is there some reason why they can't get married? And, uh, and uh, I said, no, there's no problem. And so eventually, I got married in, in volume five. And then, of course, I had to deal with Mara Kutsi, uh, who's a wonderful uh, woman. She's the assistant to Mara Matsui. Uh, she, of course, uh, got a marvelous final grade in the Botswana Secretarial College, 97%, uh, which is, is an interesting thing in Botswana, is that people often tell you what mark they got in their final examinations, just in conversation. You know, you introduce, and then they say, oh, do you realize I got 95%? Uh, and they <laughs> Somebody said that to me. <laughs> Last week in Botswana, photographer, obviously who hadn't read the, the book, said, do you know that I got 100% in my final assessment at photo Photography College? And uh, so, anyway, um, so we've got her engaged. But in my books, engagements take considerable period. And we're now in volume 10, and Mama Kutsi's still engaged to Mr. Futi Radifuti, owner of the Double Comfort Furniture Store. And so we've got a bit more mileage. And then we've got to deal with the apprentices, the two apprentices in the books. They've been apprentices since volume one. And somebody said to me the other day, just how long does it take to do <laughs> a mechanical apprenticeship in Botswana? And I said, at least 14 volumes. <laughs> anyway, so um, these books, I, I must uh, finish quite soon, but these books, um, really, what have I done here? They're, they're not really detective books at, at all. And she has a detective agency, but I just used that as a convenient vehicle for writing about the society and the people. So it's all about the people of Botswana, about their history, and about the, the, the society. And I suppose you could say that it's, it's very much a, a hymn of praise to Botswana. Uh, Botswana is, is a, marvelous, uh, a marvelous country. It's the most successful country in, in, in Africa. It really is. It's, been, uh, it's had a magnificent, uh, magnificent uh, history since independence in 1966. They've achieved a great deal. And they're very proud of their, of their country. And what I'm trying to do in these books, insofar as I have a, a purpose beyond the telling of a story, uh, what I'm trying to do, I suppose, is to say that there's a side of Africa uh, which people um, abroad, outside Africa, often just don't get. And they don't get it because it's not given to them. Uh, and the media um, always reports, and newspapers and television, etc. This is their job. I'm not saying they shouldn't do this. It's their job to report disasters and difficulties. Uh, 
So you tend to hear about African countries which have difficulties. Uh, we don't hear a great deal of, about Tanzania, for example, because Tanzania uh, actually works quite well and is functioning perfectly. We hear about the, the countries which are, which are doing rather badly, where there are very serious problems. I'm not saying that there aren't profound and serious problems in Africa in our discussions over the last few days. We've had those set out, we've discussed them. Uh, one can't but be aware of what the problems are. But the other side of the coin is that this is a part of the world, Sub-Saharan Africa is a part of the world where there are so many people leading good lives, often in very difficult circumstances, and leading their lives uh, with dignity and generosity of spirit. And I think that all of you who uh, are new to Africa, who's, for whom this is the first visit to, to, to Southern Africa, will have seen that in the small transactions of the last few days when you've been meeting people, um, African people, you will have noted, I suspect, the courtesy and the decency with which you're, you're, you're treated and the kindness. I'm often, in the United States in particular, when I do tours and people have gone off to Botswana, they've read the books, perhaps gone to see what Botswana's like, they come to me and they say, we had a wonderful trip, and I say, well, what did you, what was it about it that you liked so much? And often people say, the kindness, and they've encountered kindness frequently from people who may not have a great deal themselves, but have been very kind and generous uh, to, to, to them. And so I'm, I'm trying to write about the, the non-pathological side uh, of Africa. I'm not writing for an African audience. I'm not pretending to write works of social realism for internal consumption. I'm writing for an audience outside uh, Africa. But I'm saying to people effectively, uh, look at this place and look at these wonderful human um, qualities and the great traditions and the great cultures which, which are here, which have something to say to the world and which, uh, which I think uh, have, a, have a very uh, profound and, and good um, message for, for us. So that's really what I'm doing with the number one ladies uh, detective agency. And I'm very happy if that message is getting across uh, to people. And people who have perhaps been at risk of pathologizing Africa, and I think we have pathologized Africa um, elsewhere in uh, Western Europe and North America. We have we have pathologized it and regarded it as a broken continent uh, for, for, for which nothing can be done. And I think that's a, uh, that's a great mistake and most regrettable uh, state of affairs. I, I'd, I'd like to finish, if, if I may. I, I do write four series of books. I write uh, four to five novels a year. And I've got various other series. I write a series set in Scotland, 44 Scotland Street. It's one of my favorites. Uh, I write a series called Corduroy Mansions. These are published in newspapers and then come out as books. Uh, here are some of them. I, I, I'd love to have books for everybody, but uh, suitcase restrictions uh, made it impossible. I do, however, have a little pamphlet, a short story, which I write at the end of each year, and I hope I've got enough copies uh, there of people. I'd like to give that to, 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 to you. Uh, that's The World According to Bertie, which is one of my 44 Scotland Street uh, series. Um, then, um, as I say, Corduroy Mansions is another. Isabel Dalhousie, I write a series called The Sunday Philosophy Club, set in Edinburgh and Isabel Dalhousie, and I very much enjoy, enjoy that series. Uh, so, and I also write a series called Portuguese Irregular Verbs, uh, which is about German professors, just to uh, confuse everybody. Uh, could I finish uh, by just reading uh, the, the, last, uh, the last page of the number one ladies detective agency? That's uh, the film tie-in edition, HBO series tie-in edition. And there you'll see Jill Scott, who plays uh, Mara Matsue in the HBO series. Uh, so just a final quick uh, two minutes to read, read the end. And I don't think I'm giving away too much by reading the final page, because I've already told you. Uh, 
uh, that uh, Mara Matsui and Mr. JLB Matakoni get engaged. But this is how it happens. He comes to fix her tiny white van. Tiny white van's a very important character in the, in the books. And he's fixed it, and she's asked him to, 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 to stay for, 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 for tea. And um, this, is, this is it. The sun went, and it was dark. He sat beside her in the comfortable darkness, and they listened contentedly to the sounds of Africa settling down for the night. A dog barked somewhere. A car engine raced and then died away. There was a touch of wind, warm, dusty wind, redolent of thorn trees. He looked at her in the darkness, at this woman who was everything to him. Mother, Africa, wisdom, understanding, good things to eat, pumpkins, chicken, the smell of sweet cattle breath, the white sky across the endless, endless bush, and the giraffe that cried, giving its tears for the women to daub on their baskets. Oh, Botswana, my country, my place. Those were his thoughts. But how could he say any of that to her? Any time he tried to tell her what was in his heart, the words which came to him seemed so inadequate. A mechanic cannot be a poet, he thought. That is not how things are. So he simply said, I'm very happy that I fixed your van for you. I would have been sorry if somebody else had lied to you and said it was not worth fixing. There are people like that in the motor trade. I know, said Mara Matsui, but you are not like that. He said nothing. There were times when you simply had to speak or you would have your lifetime ahead to regret not speaking. But every time he tried to speak to her of what was in his heart, he had failed. He'd already asked her to marry him and that had not been a great success. He did not have a great deal of confidence, at least with people. Cars were different, of course. I'm very happy here sitting with you, she turned to him. What did you say? I said, please marry me, Maramatsui. I'm just Mr. JLB Matakoni, that's all. But please marry me and make me happy. Of course I will, said Maramatsui. <laughs> that's it. <laughs>